Welcome to another great message at Anchor Church. We pray this message will encourage, inspire, and transform your life. Our heart is to share the hope of Jesus with our city and nation. It's good to see everyone this morning. Um, when Pastor Adrian told me that the subject of this month is great grace, this thing left up inside of me because, I mean, that's our message. That's my message. Jared and Brittany are part of our operations team. They travel the world with me, and they always laugh saying, Jake, you kind of have one message. And I'm like, no, you're right. I have one message because I'm absolutely, I've been consumed by the reality of the grace of God that has touched my life, that has possessed my life, that has transformed my life. And that happened as a 17-year-old, desperate, crying out to God, wondering, you know, if there was a chance for me to see change. And so the great grace that I'm trusting for this morning is that I can take the hours of message that I want to bring to you this morning and, and bring it into a 30-minute time frame that makes sense. Because I feel like right now that I've been stretched all morning and that God's releasing me. And I hope that you can run with me through this morning time. Because I do believe that I have a word from the Lord for you. Amen? I'm not coming this morning with something that I printed off of an online archive. I'm not coming with stale manna. This message has transformed and is continuing to transform my life and the nations every single day. The great grace of God that comes through one man, Jesus Christ. And so if you're here today, I want you to know it's not by accident. I want you to know it's not because, well, you're supposed to be here because you're a Christian and it's Sunday. If you're here today, it's because... God, the uncreated one, the one who is alive, the one who has a plan for the ages, the one who fashioned you and formed you, the one who says you were fearfully and wonderfully created, has not only a word for you, but has a design for your life greater than I believe anything you've, you've actually been able to tap into up to this point. He has set the bar so high for you. And I believe that today's message is meant to come in and shatter some of those concepts and thought processes and defining moments in your life that have limited you up till this point. Jesus Christ will never limit your life. I promise you. The work of Jesus Christ when he was on the cross and he declared it is finished, it took the limiting factors of your life and it tore them to shreds. And it opened up a future and an opportunity and a capacity that you have permission to embrace by faith. Okay. So I want you to walk with me this morning. I want you even now to say something like this to Jesus. Jesus, I receive your word. Jesus, I believe that you've given me great grace. Amen. Okay. So I want us to start. Let me open up my little... I don't often write a lot of notes, and I recognize that there was so much I wanted to convey that if I didn't have some scaffold of notes, it was, it was going to be a train smash. I had to chuckle this morning as Adrian came up and kind of apologized for half a speaker and whatever. Guys, listen, the church was never meant to look well-polished, okay? It was meant to look like Jesus. The same guy that rode in on a donkey, right? I mean, he came in and smashed so many of the standards and the concepts that society had put up 
And I laugh because in our church service that we have in Zambia, it's quite often that a zebra roams in to the service. I promise you, we have a zebra on the property. She likes to come and worship with us. It's chaos. People are literally running like this so she doesn't bite them in the rear end. But that's kind of who we are. It's who we are. I was thinking about, you know, I was talking with Adrian and Lee last night and this morning about the difficulties of what you're, what you're doing with, I mean, you all are sitting here enjoying this. Last night at 1 a.m., it wasn't enjoyment, right? I mean, people were tired. People were trying to figure out how on earth are we going to get this done? They left at 1.30. They got up at 5.30 to get here. They got up at 5 to get here at 5.30. You might look at that and say, I mean, what a mess. What a circus act. What are we really doing? I look at that and say, this is just training for how to shake a nation. Because we can talk about shaking Johannesburg. Let's just, let's just talk about the city Joburg. We can talk about it all we want. We can declare things. We can get excited. We can sing songs. We can envision it. But unless you're ready to do the kind of work you did last night, you're never going to take a city. And not only unless you are willing to do the work, but unless you learn how to do the work with joy. Unless you learn how to wake up the next morning and say, thank you, Lord, that the capacity that people like Jake spoke about is in me to the extent that I can go without sleep and wake up and it doesn't have to define me. I can go with, with, with a small amount of finance in my bank account and it doesn't define who I am. I can go and I can move through my life and, and those things that defined me before, the, the abuses that happened in my life, the weaknesses that have, that have clung to my life up to the point of Jesus. When Jesus entered my life, he destroyed every other defining factor and he came as the defining factor of my life. That's what's available to you because of great grace. Not because you memorized a bunch of scriptures. Not because you've served for 15 years on the mission field. You don't receive great grace by effort. You receive it by faith. You receive it by surrender. So I want to let you know today that if you've come into this service and you're tired and you're weary and you're frustrated and there's something in you saying, is there not something else out there? There is something else out there. There is an answer. That answer is the great grace that you receive by faith through Jesus Christ. Your problem is not a work ethic issue first and foremost. Our problem first and foremost is that we are unwilling to believe what he's actually delivered to us. Now, I grew up in the United States of America. We don't have rugby. We have American football, which I know, I've heard all the arguments, the big sissies need pads, not like rugby men. I was just on a plane um, to Paris the other day and I was sitting by the Duplessis brothers and I'm looking at these behemoth men and I realized, you know, these guys are a whole other level of, of, of massive and, and, you know, and there was one here, this tiny little guy, and then the other brother. And the guy sitting in between them looking like this. And I was like, oh, dude, this poor guy's on a 10-hour flight. Um, but I grew up uh, in, in, in the U.S., and the team that I rooted for was called the Pittsburgh Steelers. And their slogan that's actually imprinted onto the tunnel that they run out through for every game is, the standard is the standard. Okay. Sounds really cool. The standard is the standard. They're one of the most winning 
football teams in the state, so it's been a great team to cheer for because we've had many winning seasons. I was so bad for those teams that like have never had a winning season and they're always at the bottom. I'm like, man, it'd be hard to stay committed as a fan. But one of the winningest teams and they've, they've, their coach you know, has a standard. There's disciplines in their lives and there's a way that they do things and it produces a certain level of fruit and effectiveness and it's done that for many years. But I was, I was reading an article the other day where they, they questioned the coach because they've not had a great season this year, which I understand the last several years, the Springboks have kind of been on a little bit of a roller coaster as well, and questions come with coaching and all these things. But they came to us and said, you know, Coach Tomlin, you say the standard is the standard. What do you mean by that? And he was like, I mean, it's just something I've said for so long. He actually didn't have a great answer for it. And I thought to myself, what, is it, what does it look like when you say the standard is the standard and everyone rallies behind, but you actually don't know the standard? And what I've come to find is that in Christianity today, the majority, and I promise you, I'm not exaggerating this, the majority of Christians, if I say to you, what is the standard that Jesus Christ has set for your life? The only utterance that, that comes out of modern day Christians in our context of Christianity and our, our current understanding is well, because of Jesus, I get to go to heaven. Right? That's the standard. That's the gold standard. That's, I've got this gold ticket that's going to get me to heaven, and I'm clinging to it with everything in my life. Everything else is a failure. Everything else is weakness. Everything else is, is, is chaos. But I have this one thing, and it's heaven one day. And guys, I want to I say today that that is so far below the standard that has been delivered, that has been that has been fought for you, and that, and it was delivered to you the day you were born again, okay? Which is an exciting thing. This is not a message that should leave you at the end going, I'm totally full of guilt and condemnation because I've missed it. This is a message saying, wake up, lift your eyes, and grab a hold of this thing. When Jesus said it is finished, there's a reason the entire earth shook, okay? A lot of people make powerful statements in this day and age, the earth never shakes when they make statements. Jesus Christ, the Son of God and the Son of Man, hung on that cross as the ultimate display of love, as the ultimate display of God's plan and provision for us, and he declared, it is finished. And when he declared that, the entire earth shook. The temple was tore, the, split into the, the, the veil that, that separated mankind from God was tore from top to bottom. Can you imagine how much the father waited to take that thing with his hands and rip it open and say, a doorway is now opened for you to be reestablished, not only in coming to me, but in the value and in the capacity that I created you for from the day Adam and Eve were created. Jesus restored us to the original intention, the original value, the original capacity. So you actually don't have the right to look back at your past and say, my past gets to define me. Jesus gets to define you. But what does that mean? What does that mean? We've greatly underestimated this word grace. The standard is the standard in the kingdom of God as well. Jesus is not going to compromise his standard. He's not going to compromise his word. He's not going to compromise what cost him his life. The father purchased you with the blood of his only son. Not only for heaven, but so that you could represent his kingdom, his nature, his ways right now on this earth. How incredible is that? 
So great grace is not only the thing that delivered you from the clutches of hell and brought you into the domain of heaven. Great grace is the thing that redefined everything about your life. Right now, this day, this moment, if you stand as one who is in Christ, you are absolutely and utterly redefined according to a heavenly standard, no longer a standard of earth. That's how great the chasm is between who you were and who you now are in Jesus Christ. One of the scriptures that I use in nearly every message that I preach is 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. You know it's talking about you. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone. Behold, the new has come. The day you came to know Jesus, the day you came to surrender your life to Jesus and you were born again, a new creation was created inside of you where the old man, the old experience, the old failures, the old defining measures that came around your life were severed. And God put forward a new creation. That word new creation means an entirely new species, something the earth has never yet seen before. That's what you represent today. But guess what? You can enter into the life of Christ you can thank God for the grace and you can carry on thinking the old way and it will continue to define you. It will continue to be your, your ceiling in life. Or you can submit yourself to the life of God. You can submit yourself to the word of God. You can allow the word of God to define you more than your past experience. And guess what will happen? Your life will never be the same. You'll begin to walk in the capacity of heaven itself. Maybe you're sitting here going, this, is, this sounds a bit crazy. So I want to take you to a, to a set of scriptures. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1 to 3. I want to start here. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1 to 3. And it says here, But I, brothers, and this is Paul speaking to the church of Corinth. He says, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people. So I want you to hear that. I'm addressing you today, not as people of the flesh. I'm not looking at you in a carnal way. I'm looking at you in the spirit of God because you are, in fact, a spiritual people because of Jesus Christ. There's a difference between the spirit and the carnal. So Paul says, I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk and not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you're still of the flesh. For while there's jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? Did you catch that? Paul just rebuked them for behaving like humans. I can't tell you the amount of times I've sat under teaching and had people stand up in front of me and say, but we're all just human. We're all still carnal. We're all still totally of the flesh. And what that has done is that's taken the standard is the standard and said, but this is our standard. I know God says this is the standard, but let's be honest. This is the standard. What happens if we start to open our eyes to see the actual standard and believe God for it? What would happen if this assembly sat together and said, we're going to believe God that his standard is my standard? And I'm gonna, I'm gonna live like it. It's funny how when you begin to contend for the standard is the standard, the most mundane things come against that, that faith push. So for us right now, it's electricity. In Zambia, 
We have 12 hour outages every day. In fact, we were out for 36 hours straight a few days ago. So right now, everyone you interact with is doing this. Oh, oh my gosh, can you believe it? Yeah, I mean, I haven't brought it up today. And, I, and afterwards, I thought, why did I do that? I've, the standard is the standard. Electricity is not going to define my life. It's not going to steal my joy. It's not going to be the thing that invades my soul and brings darkness and remorse and sadness. Electricity has, are you kidding me? I'm defined by the glory of God. Jesus himself purchased me by his blood, set me apart, says that I'm one that will shake nations and I'm going to mope around because I don't have electricity. But do you hear what I'm saying? The standard is the standard. If I didn't know that, I wouldn't know I could contend for it. I'd sit around and mope around and join the rest of the crowd and say, yep, you're right. Or maybe in South Africa, you know, oh, guys, the economy and, and, the, and the corruption or this, that, and the other. And, and we can all sit around in our circles and, and we can mope about these things and suddenly the standard becomes the standard. The standard no longer defines us. The man Jesus Christ, because you've got to realize Jesus Christ came to represent the standard. He came to represent what we, in fact, are now capable of. Fully God, fully man. And Paul's sitting watching these guys in Corinth saying, wait a minute, you're missing something here. Why are you still behaving like the rest of humanity when in fact now you carry the great standard of Jesus? You carry the great standard of the King of heaven. You carry the very essence of heaven itself and you have the capability to express that. Why have you submitted to that old way? Amen? Does this not get some of you guys excited? Like, wait a minute, I have permission? Listen, you have permission to contend for this kind of thing in your life. Jesus Christ opened the door for you. It's exciting, right? Okay, all right. I think some of you are with me, some of you are going, Arr. is this guy crazy? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13. Let's talk about the standard now. I want us to race through, and I mean race, we got 15 minutes. I want us to race through a few verses that should ruin your life to ever define yourself less than the standard of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 4.13, it says, until we all attain, does it say some? No, we all attain to the unity of the faith. Unity is a standard of the kingdom of heaven. The Bible says a house divided against itself cannot stand. We must be united. Jesus Christ paid the price to unite, not to divide. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, meaning God's, the knowledge of who he is, is available to you now. I used to sing songs, worship songs that talked about God being a mystery and Jesus being a mystery and he's shrouded in this mystery. Guys, he's not a mystery anymore. Colossians 1.27 says the mystery that the kings of old and the prophets of old and the priests of old long to gaze into, we now carry, which is Christ in us, the hope of our glory. Meaning Christ in you, the hope of a new standard. Glory is the standard. Glory is the standard, meaning the presence of God, the place where he dwells, the standard in heaven is your standard now. And it's now ours. It's something we hope for and press into and believe and contend for because Christ in us. Not because of anything you possess, your strength, your wisdom, your intellect, your, your degrees. None of that stuff matters. I get to minister this same word in the most remote part of Africa as I minister right now today. How beautiful is that? The standard is the standard. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, 
listen to this, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Jesus Christ. There's your standard. What measure have I received? The measure of the stature of the fullness of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord. Guys, this thing hit me nearly 18 years ago now. 18 years, 18 years of my life, I've pressed in and trusted God and believed God. I'm a nobody from West Virginia. It's one of the poorest states in the United States of America. I'm, I promise you, we, 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 those of us who are born in West Virginia, they call us rednecks. Nobody believes much is gonna, much is gonna uh, um, happen in our lives. You know, poor state, poor economy. People make jokes about us all the time. Guess what? That's not my standard anymore. It's not my standard anymore. Matthew 5.20, Jesus actually said to his disciples as they were following him and observing his life, he says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Now that was a jarring statement because the Pharisees represented this unattainable standard. Jesus comes in and says, hey, by the way, you see those Pharisees, those guys that you put up on the pedestal? Unless you understand that the standard that I've come to set goes beyond that, that I've set the bar even higher, you have no place with me. But the beauty of it is this. He said it tongue in cheek, knowing this. I'm going to fulfill the standard and I'm going to put it in your life. Because in the same breath, he says, follow me, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, the yoke of a rabbi was their teachings, okay? So he's saying, the requirement I'm going to put on you is easy and light. And in the same breath, he said, my standard is even higher than that of the Pharisees. Because he knew, I'm going to satisfy the requirement and I'm going to put myself inside of you. My very life is going to become your standard and it's going to allow you to run and not grow weary, walk and not faint. It's going to allow you to break free from everything that defined your life. And I want to talk to you right now. I want, to, I want to speak to a few people in here right now that have been battling through things that were done to you as an injustice in your younger years that has defined you, that has kept you in a place of fear, that has kept you in a place of weakness, that has kept you in a place of wondering if you could ever break out of it. Listen to me. Jesus Christ has set you free from the bondage of those defining things that were done to you. That is not who you are. Some of you are sitting here and have been perpetrators of the same things, thinking the same thing. I'll forever be confined to this title, to this defining moment of my life. Jesus Christ came. The Bible says, who the Son sets free is free indeed. The Bible goes on to say in Galatians, do not submit yourself again under a yoke of slavery. You are liberated. Don't go back under that thing because of stinking thinking. Right? Our transformation comes by the renewal of our minds. Romans 12. Your mind has to be renewed. No, but you don't understand. You don't understand what I went through. No, you're right. Many of you, I don't understand what you went through, but I understand the power of the cross. I understand when he said it is done, it is finished, it was finished over your life. He broke that power. He broke that curse. He broke the pain and the torture and everything it put you through. And he liberated you from one kingdom and he planted you in the kingdom of his beloved son. Look at Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. I'll just read it from here. Being strengthened with all power. Okay, it's talking about you. 
What does that look like to be strengthened with all power from Father God? According to his glorious might, not according to what you can consciously think about, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy. That's the standard. Meaning, no matter what you have to walk through, if it's 12-hour power outages, if it's staying up till 1.30 at night, if it's dealing with difficult circumstances and situations in your home life, in your work life, etc., those circumstances have no right to dictate to you who you are and what you're capable of. The Bible here says, you have been given all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. There's your standard. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that whatever it is that I've been walking through that's been kicking my butt, it has no right to do it. And in fact, I have the ability to see the job through, to endure patiently with joy until it's finished and exhibit the character of God the power of God, the word of God in the midst of that circumstance. Circumstance has no right to define you any longer. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. You know that word saint actually comes from the word that was used in the Old Testament to mean the Holy of Holies. So the Holy of Holies was the place that one person, one time a year got to enter into, into the manifest presence of God. And God, through the redemptive work of Jesus Christ, now calls you the Holy of Holies. And we look at ourselves in the mirror and all we see is weakness. All we have is the memory of, of our past failures. While the Father's going, you are my Holy of Holies now. You are the place I've chosen to dwell. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are my holiness. You are my righteousness. No, but God, you don't understand I did that. No, you don't understand what my son did to, do, to redefine your life. And if we just put our faith in that, guess what happens? It's not like we're claiming something that we're not actually ushering out. It's until we stand on it by faith, it won't be exhibited in our lives. We wait and say, I want to see it exhibited so I can believe in it. And he says, no, you have to believe. And believing is the thing that breaks the back of that power that once stood over your life and allows you to exhibit actual holiness and actual righteousness and actual joy. He has delivered you from the domain of darkness and transferred you to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom you have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Amen. I want to submit that grace actually finds its greatest expression through suffering and injustice. Suffering and injustice is usually the first thing that causes us to say, well, now what do you expect? Look, look, look at what was done to me. What do you expect? No, I expect that the standard is the standard. Guys, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to liberate you from having an excuse. Too often the church becomes a group of people that just re, that comes around each other and says, no, you're right. You, have, you should have an excuse for why you did dot, dot, dot. There's a guy that I, that I listened to, a minister, and he says, why is it that if you took an orange off of an orange tree and you squeezed it and apple juice flowed out and you tasted it, I mean, it would be a science miracle. They document everything. Why is it that when you squeeze a Christian and everything but Jesus comes out, we're not utterly shocked? Why is it that when a Christian gets squeezed, we go, oh, that's terrible. You, but you got squeezed? Well, then it makes sense why everything else came out. Because you got squeezed. 
The Bible's saying, regardless of how much you're getting squeezed, you have the ability, you have the capacity to exhibit Jesus Christ. And it's actually when you're getting squeezed, when you exhibit him, that the miracle happens and people go, how did you do that? We actually become the company of people that welcome suffering and injustice. Does that start to sound a little bit like the early church? That jumped up after public beatings and started to dance and sing and say, we're found worthy of the name of Jesus. We, we, were, we were given the privilege of that suffering, and here we are exhibiting great joy. And it caused the Pharisees to look at each other and say, we have a problem. Circumstance no longer mastered this company of, of people in the early church. Last verse I want to look at is Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32 to 40. It says, And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. Wandering about in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. Here's what I can't promise you. I can't promise you that things are going to get any easier. But I can't promise you, according to the word, that you have what it takes. Not just to survive, but to thrive. And I actually want to say to you that there will come a place in your walk with Christ that you'll realize that when the darkness gets darker, his light shines brighter and you actually welcome the darkness. You actually get excited when you see the calamity start to, start to roll in upon you. You actually, you actually feel his strength rise up in you and you recognize, wait a minute, I've been put here for such a time as this. It's like John 12 where, where Jesus says, you know, my flesh is crying out and saying to God, I don't want to do this, but I recognize I was made for this hour. It's for this hour that I came. God might not come in and fix your circumstance right now, but what he has done is he's delivered to you the capacity, his fire, his power, his character to stand up and rise up in it and to exhibit his love, his peace, his joy. So I can't promise you that next weekend isn't going to be another 1.30 a.m. crazy chaos, teardown, set up, but I can promise you this, you can have joy in the midst of it. I can promise you this, if you begin to rise up and understand who you are, and what standard God has set for your life, you will change this city. People's heads will begin to turn and say, do you hear about these anchor people that seem to, to relish in the difficulty, that seem to rise up and all of us are shrinking back? Heaven's Hall of Fame talks about those kind of people. It's your company. It's your DNA now. It's who you are because of Christ in you, the hope of your glory. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. This nobody from West Virginia has had the opportunity to meet with presidents, to meet with emperors, to meet with kings. I've been imprisoned. I've had malaria 
more times than more more fingers I can count on, all those things. I'm not defined by it. I'm not here sobbing in front of you saying my life's been so hard. I know the authority I carry in Jesus Christ. It has nothing to do with who I am in the flesh. If I looked at myself in the flesh, I'd be so scarred. And I, I guys, I'd be in therapy sessions every day. Listen to me. You have what it takes. When I look at you, I'm not looking in the flesh. I'm not, I'm not dropping your standard. I know the standard that was delivered to you. And I'm going to require you to rise up and to live by that standard. Because I know what it costs the Son of God. Amen. So let's stand up.